Hey, Greening the Apocalypse listeners, Adam here from Greening the Apocalypse. Sorry we haven't been updating the podcast lately, we have been terribly slack, but we're going to start doing it again. We'll do a few of the ones that we've missed, some of the best ones, so uh, we'll get you back up to date, and um, we'll try to stay on top of it now. Thanks for bugging us, those that did. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? dramatic or like sort of understated or what this is a land that prays for a hero the humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival you are listening to greening the apocalypse on triple r102.7 fm Yes, welcome to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse, coming to you live from the studios of soon-to-be beachside Brunswick East in soon-to-be tropical Melbourne. If you are currently applying some sort of salve or balm to your inner thigh chafe, you're not alone. Bushy's my name, uh, but with the commencement today of the watering down of 18C, all in the name of freedom of speech, you can call me rough-looking, kind of redneck, bogany-looking, beardy guy who should get a proper job and have a shave. I'm in the studio tonight with uh, tall, skinny, specky, lefty computer geek guy and uh, raging left-wing femo-journalist girl, Adam Grubb and Sarah Coles. Hello. Hey. You can say whatever you want. I don't, I don't have a clue what... You, I, ADNC defamation law, is it's it? It's a defamation... It's, a, it's uh, to do with Racial Discrimination Act in Australia and um, Malcolm in the Middle has started to... He's put it forward today. It was in, all over the news. They are trying to water down 18C, so it's easier for freedom of speech to let us all be any type of arsehole we want to be. Is basically. the part they're getting... I haven't read it, but is the bit they're getting rid of the bit they nailed Andrew Bolt on a few years ago? Or? It would appear to be. Yep. yep. Yes. That voice you just heard then is a middle-aged man in Lycra, uh, <laughs> panellist extraordinaire Jed McCartney. How are you, Jed? I'm really well, thanks, Bushy. Excellent, excellent. And uh, that little uh, sound at the top of the show was just uh, wave sounds with seagulls for relaxation coming to you from <laughs> YouTube via a very simple search. <laughs> uh, tonight, we are going to cover something very current, very big and very important. We are going to discuss the Adani Carmichael coal mine. Uh, in order to do that best, we thought we would dig into the legal system here from Environmental Justice Australia uh, is our guest who will be with us for the entire hour, Ariane Wilkinson. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. You are on the uh, front line to uh, attempt to stave off the apocalypse. So it is uh, apt, as you were saying off air, that you're here. We might just do a quick primer. I mean, you are an environmental lawyer. You're author of the recently published The Adani Brief, What Governments and Financiers Need to Know About the Adani Group's Record Overseas. Uh, it's a catchy title. We'll, <laughs> might, might touch on that uh, in a little bit. Um, but just let's do a bit of a primer. When we say environmental law, 
what is it and who or what does it represent? Sure. So uh, environmental law, I guess when we're talking in Australia, is a system of laws at a local, state and federal level which regulate what everybody can and can't do, what's lawful, what's not. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we've got international law as well. So um, as an environmental lawyer, we look at these laws and think about um, we're, we're what my friends like to call me a reverse lawyer. So we are a not-for-profit law firm. We don't work for corporates and governments. And we look at how you can use these laws to protect the environment. Mm -hmm. So something that's, you know, of interest to to everybody really is what's my local or state or federal law, which means that this person isn't, isn't allowed to trash my local bushland or isn't yep. allowed to trash my climate mm -hmm. relevant to the Adani mine. Yep. Yeah. Are laws uh, such as that generally um, upheld by EPA and so forth, in theory, upheld by the EPA as to the best of their powers? Well, yeah, that's right. You've got enforcement uh, bodies in each of the state governments and the federal government. And the kind of law firm I work for, Environmental Justice Australia, where the kind of law firm which actually also helps those regulatory bodies, gives them law reform submissions, tells them how we think they should be better enforcing their laws... And when they don't, we help citizens enforce the laws themselves when there's third-party rights for a citizen to actually bring a case to court and enforce the law and hold governments and corporations to account. Mm. Cool. Well, my, most people will have at least heard the, the name Adani or the Carmichael uh, Coal Mine Project because it is probably the biggest infrastructure project on the table in Australia at the moment and probably also the most controversial. Do you want to give us... Uh, a, a brief of what are we talking about? How big is it? And yeah, what's sure. its significance? Yeah, sure. So I, I really hope everyone has heard about the proposed Dadani Carmichael coal mine. And if you're living in Australia or actually the planet, you should know about it and you should care about it. This is one of the um, proposed new open cut coal mines in an area called the Galilee Basin from my home state of Queensland. So it's inland from the reef. Um, it's not next to the reef, but it is inland from the Great Barrier Reef. Now, this mine would be one of the biggest uh, coal mines in the southern hemisphere, so it would be viewable from space if they're allowed to dig this big hole. And the coal, when it's burned, would be one of the um, biggest uh, climate impacts of any new infrastructure project that's kind of on the table, at least in Australia and in the southern hemisphere. Um, I actually don't even have the metrics in front of me of how bad the... Um, I think I read that if they were to produce all 1.6 billion tonnes of coal, that that would be the equivalent of 0.5% um, of the total carbon budget we have if we want to stay below 2 degrees as a globe. So one two hundredth of that. But that's, also, that's a pretty optimistic figure since a lot of people say we need to draw down carbon at this point to go down to 300 or 350 parts per million um, so there is actually no room for any of this potentially to go into the atmosphere yeah that's right so there's good science to support a position that we need to keep all new fossil fuel reserves in the ground mm. so the massive concern is that if we were to open this new adani carmichael coal mine not only would the mine itself be devastating for the climate for the great barrier reef for you know tourism operators who rely on a healthy reef and then for all of us wanting a safe climate future. It would also facilitate the opening of the Galilee Basin. So there's, you know, eight, nine other mines in that Galilee Basin in Queensland. Mm. So once you get the rail up, once you get the infrastructure up, you've got a process which is called um, 
lock-in or fossil fuel infrastructure lock-in. And once that's locked in, there's no going back. So this is a great show to talk about it because I don't want to um, be over stating the point but you know we're talking about the apocalypse here like this is serious climate impacts that are going to affect every single one of us Mm. um now at one end of the spectrum we're being told uh like for instance uh federal resource minister matt uh carnivan said the project would be the biggest thing to happen in north queensland since the beatles came to australia um last year he neglected to mention that the beatles didn't actually travel further north than brisbane (laughs) (laughs) um they should have gone up to cairns they would have had a lovely time. <laughs> and, and there's um, so much uh, both enthusiasm from it, from papers and other things saying, like, it'll be a complete game-changer. It could revitalise Queensland and the national economy. And yet everything about this project, from the financial viability of it um, through to the history and the corruption hey 18c yeah i just <laughs> um, wanted to emphasize we should have freedom of speech we shouldn't have freedom <laughs> to be bastards about it right. sorry kick right, right. um uh, of, of the company and uh th- through and the environmental impacts are all being put under the microscope where should we start why don't we start mm. with with let's start with just the cold hard things that um matter to most electorate whether you consider yourself an environmentalist or not and that is the jobs question. Now, they claimed, Adani claimed in television advertisements that they would uh, be generating 10,000 jobs, which actually doesn't sound that massive in the scheme of things, but they were, they I said mean, quite different 50, things. 50,000 coal lobbyists? D- is that true? So it's one-fifth of that number. Hang on. <laughs> That's Where did you get that? There's 50,000. Oh, I read it today somewhere. Did you? Can right. you send that to me? Because yeah. I'd like to know. <laughs> yeah. 50,000 paid coal lobbyists and about... <laughs> 10 paid renewable energy advocates. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The so, 10,000 jobs yeah. is is a um, alternative fact. It's not true. It's not supported by evidence. What if their job's cleaning up after they crash a boat on the reef? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, currently there's no money for cleaning up um, a boat that crashes on the reef. There was a Shen Neng disaster. It ran into the coral and... Um, devastated some coral on the in the Great Barrier Reef World Heritage Area. There's no emergency management fund to pay for the cleanup. So there's no jobs in that because it, the damage just sits there currently. Yeah, I know. Different issue, but bad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sure. There's jobs in rehabilitation for coal mines. Volunteer positions, <laughs> That's right. So, so um, the jobs in the Adani um, Carmichael coal mine and rail, um, Adani's own expert, many of you will have heard, said there's about, I think it's 1,464 jobs, not 10,000. So this isn't Greeny saying it, it's not environmental lawyers saying it, it's nobody but Adani's own expert in court. And that evidence was accepted by the judicial member in that um, independent scrutiny of the application. What's fairly outrageous is because we don't have any laws that stop, for example, companies or um, politicians from representing facts in a way that's simply not true, we are seeing uh, state and federal politicians and the company itself continue to state this 10,000 jobs point, which is just completely not supported by evidence. And for example, we did a misleading deceptive conduct complaint for one of our clients. But because that 
statement wasn't seen to be in trade or commerce, so it wasn't something that was talking to consumers, the ACCC wouldn't investigate. So you've got these just completely false statements misleading the Queensland um, the Queensland community who are really hurting and really need jobs and mm. really need public funds to be invested where we're going to get good, real jobs. Mm. Now, apparently that number where they said there would be uh, more like 1,464 jobs when they were under oath uh, was before the Adani CEO... Uh, the Adani Australia CEO, um, Jay Kumar Janakaraj, told reporters that there's going to be a focus on autonomous technology, so they're going to have driverless trucks. Mm. And um, he says it will be uh, everything will be autonomous from mine to port. This is the mine of the future. Yeah, that's correct. He's on the record stating that. So it's robots, you know. We've got the robots. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, it's it's kind of you robots can't make this stuff the up. <laughs> that's right. So it's the Terminator yeah. is true, folks. Yeah, Ooh, and it's Skynet. interesting technology. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's not jobs for the people who are hurting in in northern Queensland who no. need jobs. And I I completely stand with them. I have many relatives and friends up there, but. What I'm interested in is making sure they have the facts before they mm. make their decisions and that you've got political leaders basing decisions on facts, not on misstatements of fact that is actually just going to lead to more economic pain for those communities. Yeah, uh, two uh, slightly segued yet timely articles came out in the conversation today or yesterday. Um, one of them was when things go wrong in, um, in automation, uh, do we know what to do? So here it is, when things go wrong in an automated world, would we still know what to do? And it was sort of touching on the fact that we still need to have uh, human inputs and so forth, and it touched on a, a bunch of different links to recognising risk uh, in the vehicle. It talked about the fatal crash of a Tesla Model S with an autopilot that noted the company provide information about system limitations. So to what degree uh, a company like this might start to ignore ideas of system limitations? Um, also, on the same uh, website, the conversation was an, another note talking about the government need to front up billions, not millions, in order to save Australia's threatened species. Um, I just quickly touch on that because if there's a billion bucks to be thrown out somewhere on the table to maybe creating jobs in uh, dealing with Australia's threatened species and iconic species might be a, a better way to go. Just saying. <laughs> now, it seems to be... Uh, I, this might not be your area of expertise, but let's talk about it briefly. The, the whole, this whole incredibly controversial uh, project, and we'll get on to some of the other reasons why it's controversial in a minute, but there seems to be some pretty serious critique about its financial viability. Uh, I've heard it said that they need the coal price to, main, to be up around $120 a tonne, which it was at the sort of peak of the China boom, but it's gone down to at least half that now. Mm. Um, for this project to be viable. And this is before we consider the fact that there, there will be, in some time in its 60-year lifetime, a carbon tax. It, does that sound Yeah, correct? absolutely. So financial viability is a, is a massive um, risk yep. for anyone wanting to invest. And it's a massive issue for communities that are, and politicians who are hanging their hat on this project as the kind of you know, only only good thing going in Queensland. I'm from I'm from Queensland, so I know it's not the only good thing going up there. So the big pineapple. Yeah, well, the big pineapple is very rad. I hope you've been there. Um, <laughs> not for years, but what a what a day. <laughs> it's memorable. So 
There's a great organisation called um, IEFA who do some really good um, economic analysis of financial viability around these kind of projects, including the Carmichael mine. And there's some very big questions based on the coal price. Is it going to stabilise, go up, or is it actually in structural decline? If it's in structural decline, then this is a bad project. Now, there's that question, but there's also the question of what's called your carbon risk. So Mm. we know we've got a Paris Agreement. We know everybody's committed to trying to hold everything to two degrees, maybe 1.5. Australia's signed up. Mm. If you're sinking cash into a project where you know you've got an agreed low-carbon future from the countries to which you are exporting, Mm. then what does that actually mean for you long-term? You know, this is a 60-year project Mm. selling a product that has a very limited shelf life. And also, you know, as we can be very cynical about the politics because it does get quite depressing, but the politics is catching up. Scientists are starting to accept more and more of the science. Um, You've talked about the the carbon budget, Adam, and, and the more politicians accept the carbon budget and the more people affected by climate change, you know, in their own backyards, rising sea levels and, Mm -hmm. you know, health impacts, we're going to start demanding that this stuff stays in the ground and doesn't get burnt. So that's a a carbon risk or carbon liability to putting money into these projects. Mm. I was just going to touch on something uh, that came up in a chat recently. Uh, Adam, you're a Latrobe Valley native, Mm. so you probably knew some people a couple of years ago infected by that pit fire that took off. Sure. Um, I mean, my dad used to work in the Hazelwood, um, at Hazelwood, so, and he mm. was part of the emergency fire crew, which no longer exists. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> what great news. So if we're talking about a company that um, we'll discuss this a bit further in the show about uh, their accountability and potential corruption. Um, I mean, what sort of shortcuts could we potentially, could we see another big pit fire take off in the Galilee Basin, albeit mm. on a much larger scale much more isolated area yeah it's a good question so we actually acted in the hazelwood mine fire inquiry at environmental justice australia so we're quite across that issue you wouldn't see a pit fire in in the galilee basin because it's black coal not brown coal right so it's a lot harder to catch fire no that's all right but it um but there's there's a really good report on this project called license to kill written by some reverse lawyers up in Queensland and <laughs> ACF. Um, and it's about these 33 conditions that mm. protect us all from some kind of disaster like what happened in the Latrobe Valley. And it points out that this project is so risky, It the 33 strongest conditions, as um, the Minister for the Environment likes to t- call them, actually simply makes it lawful to create environmental harm. That's what people don't understand about mm. environmental law. It doesn't stop environmental harm. It makes it legal. Uh. <laughs> so that's what your approval does. So in those conditions, there's all these massive risks, and one of them is groundwater. So there's this adaptive management where you're allowed to kind of do all these things, but you have to keep testing to see that there's not going to be a disaster. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and so... Yeah, maybe not a mine fire, but mass potential, extremely big problems with groundwater, mm. decimation of the last known habitat of the black-throated finch. So that's yep. pretty much a disaster that's been made legal already. Jesus. And, you know, um, burning the coal and kind of killing the Great Barrier Reef, which mm. is, you know, the favourite one that everyone loves to talk about. So 
the comp- the ability of the Federal Environment Department to keep an eye and make sure that they're keeping up to date and that there's not going to be a massive disaster mm. is not very good. There was an <sighs> audit of their kind of compliance and enforcement capabilities and they're often not that well resourced. Yeah, it's right. not like they're sending someone out to the middle of Queensland to keep an eye. So yeah. absolutely massive, massive risk, which is why we say in our report you got to scrutinise whether they're a company that's reliable and have a good track record before you give them a licence to kind of do something extremely dangerous. Mm. And our findings in that report are that the scrutiny hasn't been adequate. You are listening to a Triple R podcast. Podcast. Is that right? Yeah, it's right. It just means like a radio show on the internet. I wish I could get... I've never turned that radio on. You've never listened to my show? Is that what you're telling me? Oh, I did one day in the thing. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking... um, We've been talking and we continue to talk with Arianne Wilkinson, who is the the environmental lawyer and author of the Adani Brief, What Governments and Financiers Need to Know About the Adani Group's Record Overseas. Let's talk about the environmental record of the, the Adani group. It's very, they're very hard to define, aren't they? Yeah, they, but they really are. We'll yeah. get to that later because mm. that really comes into the financial dubiousness. But let's. what, what do we know about the, the environmental record of, of that network of corporations? Yeah, sure. So in brief, <laughs> a summary of what's in our 40-page um, legal report is... They've got a terrible track record in foreign jurisdictions. Absolutely terrible track record. And this is established. This isn't my opinion. This is an opinion of the Indian ombudsman, the Indian courts. Um, and they're connected with a, a devastating poisoning of a river in Zambia as well, mm. which is included there. So that was a, a copper w- mining project. Was that, That's correct. Was that Nadani yeah. company? No, or that it was wasn't. the CEO. That's correct. The current CEO so, of the Australian operation. Absolutely. So under Australian law, we we take it into account when um, a, an executive officer of a company has has something that happened when they're in charge of another company. Mm. And uh, Mr. Janakaraj was the director of operations at KCM when it was criminally prosecuted for poisoning a river. So mm-hmm. we've included that because it is relevant. To, and it was um, no small poisoning. No, there's 1,800 Zambians who... Um, are bringing a class action actually for um you know um getting sick basically and poisoning of their farming land so it was a pretty um pretty concerning event and and it's something that we just brought to the attention of um the Australian regulators because it wasn't declared to the Australian government when it should have been right you brought that to... They hadn't discovered this fact, which is presumably quite Googleable. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. I, 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 um, it, it's kind of Googleable, but I guess the thing with Australian law, if we're going to talk about yes. one of the many other things that's wrong with it... Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I'll just let you ta- take off your gloves and let's really... <laughs> well, the, you know, regulators don't have the resources to investigate every single thing about every company. We rely on them 
to self Sure, but surely they've got Wi-Fi access. Because <laughs> that's all Adam's got. We should put a Google clause in the environment, Federal <laughs> Environment Act where they have to Google them before they're allowed to give <laughs> them the an environmental least. approval. But this was something where they did write to the company and say, can you please tell us anything relevant to any of your executive directors and <laughs> yourselves? And Adani mm. didn't tell them. And we told them. And so they wrote to them and said, well, you should have told us this. Uh, this is a breach of the Act. Mm-hmm. Can you explain? And so they did explain, but we can't get that information mm. because they won't release it under Freedom of Information. Um, as I understand it, the Adani Group has opposed the release of the explanation. The Federal Environment Department did say they thought it was likely a mistake. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? But... At the end of the day... Getting your uh, owner $1.4 million property. Yeah. Environmental Justice Australia is quite small, isn't it? Yeah, we are. So how did you manage... How come you managed to muckrake everything (laughs) in the whole world? Yeah. And then our government, who are on some pretty hefty salaries, and there's quite a few public servants and whatnot. How come they can't find this stuff out? (laughs) It is a real question, isn't it? It's like people say... Why do you bother doing this job? Why don't you go work in corporate law? And it's, well, for me and many, many, many other public interest lawyers that somebody's got to do it because it's kind of a public interest accountability watchdog kind of role. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why they didn't find out. It was available. It was publicly. You could Google it and you just had to connect a few dots. Um, and somebody, three dots? It was about three. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And somebody told us, and we, we, um, we actually, uh, went to some efforts working with some fantastic lawyers at Earth Justice in America to get the court document from Zambia because we don't want to say something if we're not absolutely sure it's true and we mm. won't say something based on um, what a journalist says as much as many mm-hmm. journalists are great and have good integrity. It's not good evidence. Mm-hmm. So we went, um, contacted the Zambian court and got a copy of the court prosecution mm-hmm. and... Um, then we provided those documents to the government. Yeah, and it wasn't that hard. Yeah, right. It took a couple of days. So, so is the Google dude, is the Australian federal government's Google dude, is like one of those Tarantino <laughs> Texas sheriff characters who's asleep with the feet on the desk and the hat over their eyes? Well, there is no Google dude because there's not a Google provision in the federal environment law. But after this show, this is such a good... I'm going to go and yeah. ask for the bushy clause. No, I want, the I want a Google clause. You right. Get a Texas sheriff. They, they jump to attention when someone walks in and hits a desk. Right. And yeah, I and you Google the company before they get a license. I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but <laughs> <laughs> it just—how did they not know? Isn't it more likely that they knew, but they just decided not to reveal yeah. that to the Australian public to push through this crap thing? For the poisoning—that just seems. I'd, I'd love to say that that could be the case, but what I can say is they did know about some other. Mm. heinous and concerning environmental destruction in India. Bring those to us? Yes. So um, there's a port in Mundra um, in India where the Adani group have been found guilty of absolutely devastating mangroves, devastating communities, devastating local farmer areas. There's um, some really confronting and upsetting video footage of this available via Google. Um, the minister didn't it. need to mm. Google it. It was on his desk. So the federal environment minister who gave sign-off under our federal environmental laws was well aware of the of the um, a, a relevant Adani group being um, found 
that, that, that they had caused this environmental destruction, but they approved it anyway. So they consider it as part of what's called their environmental history or environmental record. But for whatever reason, the minister decided that that wasn't enough of a reason not to let them build one of the biggest, most risky yeah, projects. Does, does the minister ever take environmental record into account? Yeah, every single time. So it's a it's a um, compulsory consideration under your federal environment law. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So um, it's so there. It has stopped projects in the past. I'm not aware of it ever stopping anything, but okay. unfortunately the federal environmental law rarely is used as a reason to say no. Every now and then it is, but often a minister doesn't refuse projects that are really dangerous. They just put a million conditions on them and hope that the conditions all kind of mitigate the mm. impacts. Yeah. So, But he could have. I mean, it was completely open to the minister to say no based on their environmental history. Well, one thing that has changed was that in the first proposal for the mine was, I think, to bring the, the toppings, the stuff above the, the coal in the big open-cut mines to the barrier reef or and dump it out to sea is that mm, correct yeah that's right so no not the toppings of the coal um the dumping in the great barrier ford heritage area was to get the ships into the port ah, so it'd be dredging yeah dredging and so the, there's still all of that dredge spoil yeah but they then made a plan really i think based on a lot of pressure from civil society and the world heritage committee who was really concerned um, to dump it on, I think, the Cowley Valley wetlands. So then, obviously, everyone was like, well, that's a really bad idea and there's these birds that are going to be have their, you know, area decimated. So then they changed their mind again and said they'd dump it on unused portland, which I think is actually adjacent to the wetlands. So still kind of not yeah, really very yeah. great. Mm. And that's just capital, um, capital dredging. So they can still dump maintenance dredge spoil in the Great Barrier Reef World Heritage Area and there's heaps of ports up and down the coast that can do that. But the big win and the win for the environment movement and civil society is everyone was successful in getting the federal government to ban the dumping of that dredge spoil, mm. like just mm. through actually, yeah. you know... That was a big campaign, wasn't it? It was very big and it was very successful and wonderful. Mm. But, you know, at the end of the day the fight is still on big time because um, that was, you know, one set of really direct impacts which were completely awful, but we've got a whole bunch of other impacts that mm. are kind of really going to affect the Great Barrier Reef and lots of other beautiful parts of um, the Australian environment in a really concerning way mm. and currently they're all being ticked off. Like, we've got to kind of step up the fight. So it's a bit like if you've got, like, a serial killer in jail... And they say, hey, can you let me out? And they say, do you promise to be nice? And they go, yeah, yeah. That, it seems like that's simple to get this stuff across the line, doesn't it? Um, not to put too <laughs> overly simplified point on it. Well, you know, I mean, you I represent kind of... us when we get sued for defamation now. <laughs> I, don't, no, I, I mean, clearly. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not going to go there. But, no, no, don't but, go there. But a person's character is relevant to mm. whether or not they should be allowed to be let loose on matters of public interest like the like environment. Like a board of directors at a huge mining operation. Person. Yeah, like anything. Like mm. to become a lawyer, I had to, you know, say to the Supreme Court anything which I'd done that 
you know, whether there was any reason I shouldn't be trusted as a lawyer. Mm. Same with teachers, same with anyone we put in a tr- position of trust in society. We ask them to, we judge them on their record. Yeah. US presidents are supposed to publish their tax returns. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we like to know the prior record of, and it's as, and it's as it should be with a corporation. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on 3RRR. We are talking with uh, Ariel Wilkinson, Ariane, sorry, um, who's an environmental lawyer and author of the recently published The Adani Brief, What Governments and Financiers Need to Know About the Adani Group's Record Overseas. And it really does seem like a train wreck of a project, no, no pun intended. Um, the, the mine and the massive... Uh, railway line associated with it from the perspective that we've covered it um, through already in that there's big talking up of the jobs that it will make. It's been hailed as the big rescue for Queensland and even the national economy. Um, and bigger yet, than the Beatles. Bigger than the Beatles. And yet their own, um, when, when under oath, you know, they say there's actually not that many jobs and we're going to automate everything possible financially it's questionable whether the thing is even viable so we could this whole thing could be a, um, a dead horse from the start uh, because they're not considering uh, the potential for a carbon tax potentially and environmentally coal has got to be on the way out this is um, going to be a significant factor if it goes ahead in global emissions just this one massive mine and we've just been talking about some of the other environmental local problems with it um, for the reef. And, well, you would, if, if this was going to happen for whatever crazy reason, we should really want a company to lead it with an impeccable track record environmentally. That is absolutely not the case. Well, let's have a talk about Adani <laughs> from the financial perspective. Many questions have also been raised here but first off who is the adani group and do you have any idea how many companies there are globally which are controlled by the adani family yeah good question so if you want to know who the adani group is i recommend jump on um our website and download to the report and look at the great kind of little flow chart table which shows you who they are in australia really so um, there's no big kind of It looks of like a family body. tree that goes back yeah. 18 generations to... Kind of. <laughs> you know, you, you're related to royalty. That's it's a very big and complicated uh, chart. That's right. And that's just the chart um, uh, which uh, illustrates the Adani group companies that operate in Australia that we know about. So that's um, 26 separate corporate entities and trusts in Australia. And the chart demonstrates how they're all kind of connected or owned by the Adani family. <coughs> now, in terms of how many Adani group companies there are globally, that's not a number I know, but there would be many, many, many. So you can kind of jump on the Adani website and it's got all the different Adani companies, many of which operate in India and some are in, um, you know, tax havens like the Cayman Islands, etc. So, yeah, that's why we call them the Adani group because when you talk about, oh, for example, we're going to give... Adani, a billion a billion dollar concessional loan for this rail line. The one thing that nobody knows is which Adani entity in Australia is 
going to get that concessional loan, mm. you know, something that lots of Australians really want to know because um, several of the Australian companies are owned through tax havens and then several are owned through the listed in- Indian entity parent company. So it's a really relevant question in terms of financial risk. Mm-hmm. It's a relevant question in terms of um, corporate environmental history mm-hmm. because there's different kind of corruption allegations and trade-based money laundering allegations against the different parent entities. So mm-hmm. you kind of want to know which ones you're dealing with. You know, there's a few. It's kind of like a bag of treats, unfortunately. So you have to, you know, you want to think, well, okay, billion dollars, that's my taxpayer money, your taxpayer money. It's a concessional loan. Um, who? What's the risk profile? Who are we giving it to? And for some reason, the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility Board won't tell the Australian public. They see that it's commercial in confidence. And the politicians won't reveal it either. They won't say which legal entity they're going to loan the money to. No, they're refusing to say it. It's really weird. And it's... Sorry, I shouldn't even laugh. It's not even funny, but it's so ridiculous. It's laughable. Maybe they're worried someone will Google it. (laughs) Well, then, if we use the Google clause, the bushy (laughs) Google amendment to the federal environment law, then, yeah, that's right. Just Google it. And we've made this handy report where you don't need to Google it. You can literally just choose the company um, once it's announced, we'll be able to go, okay, well, the relevant um, environmental corporate history and allegations are at section 1.3. You know, we'll be able to say which court case is relevant. Have, have you guys or anyone else done like a full business case on this? So what the government's putting into the project versus what the government will get out in terms of royalties, taxes, etc., cetera, et cetera? Mm. Has, has anyone done that or is it not possible to I've, do? I've seen, do you mean in terms of investing the concessional billion dollar loan and yeah, the other kind yeah. of, I've, I've seen some kind of questions like that put forward by people like the Australia Institute and IEFA and I've seen some kind of um, clever sums around how many jobs you get when you think about the billion dollar loan and I, I don't even know the number, it's like mm. something like $300,000 per job but... No, we haven't done the kind of business case scenario analysis. The economic um, um, benefits question was agitated in one of the court cases. So there's some kind of... Because, you know, you you look at those when you weigh up the costs and benefits of a project. So there's some reports about that, but that's not something we've done. Now, the Adani Group has done pretty well in a lot of their financial dealings. Not all of it uh, exactly legally. <laughs> if we were to look at um, court cases in India, for instance, yeah. um, involving n- uh, nebulous uh, financial transactions. Do you want to just yeah, quickly brief sure. us on some of that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, um, there's a, the first chapter of our report basically sets out a lot of the kind of concerning allegations against different corporate members of the Adani Group in India. There's current... Uh, investigations on foot in India by the Directorate of Revenue Intelligence, which is a special investigative arm of one of the um, Indian government entities. And this, as we speak, currently under investigation for um, like artificially inflating the price of coal, um, which actually pushes up electricity prices for Indians and um, overvaluing capital imports. Uh, so and then arguably um, using that as trade-based money laundering and um, hiding profits overseas. So these are all allegations. The investigations aren't complete. They're 
you know. But there's an argument that until those investigations are complete, we shouldn't be loaning them any money or allowing them to proceed with this project. And, that, I mean, there's some older investigations about illegal exports of iron ore in uh, Karnataka, India. My apologies if I'm saying Karnataka. 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 Thank you, Bushy. <laughs> and and those were findings of an ombudsman. So those aren't allegations. Those are damning findings in a damning ombudsman report that's been, um, you know, well reported in the media and which the government is well aware of. So what we're saying is why aren't they more concerned? Mm. So is your who's the report aimed at? Well, the report itself is aimed at uh, governments and financiers as per the very catchy title, yeah. what governments and financiers need to know. And, you know, we as as kind of lawyers um, working in this space see ourselves as providing the, um, you know, the detailed, perhaps less sexy and exciting information with detailed references so that we it's ask... It's actually quite a good read, that said. <laughs> yeah, it's good. That is very kind of you. <laughs> Someone <laughs> said to me crime. they needed a beer and multiple breaks on Facebook to read the first few pages. <laughs> last, <But> it, <laughs> last, um, I think it was last week the Australian Treasurer took a lump of coal into Parliament mm. and waxed lyrical about how great coal is. So yeah. Do you think he'll put down the chunk of coal and have a look at the Adani brief? or He might. I, I haven't called him personally, but yeah. now that you say it, maybe I should. It's certainly we've given it to the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility Board yeah. and we've written to them and offered them a briefing. We're not asking to, you know, we're, we're asking to give them independent information to help inform their decision. And in previous reports we've written, we've put it on the desk of the Environment Minister and relevant politicians. Yep. So so that's why we write this information. But by the way, people should know that um, GetUp actually released a report called the Adani Files, yep. which is kind of a bit short, a bit of a summary, and also deals with a whole bunch of other publicly available information that they were really concerned about. So if you're not in the mood for a legal read or, you know, something like this, um, that's a really good little summary you can have a look at if you're interested in these issues as well. Yeah. Superb. And if you do want to ring a federal politician, you can use... Remember <laughs> we were talking about Google earlier? You can use Google. Yeah. You can ring him. I rang Malcolm a while ago and I said I wanted some money to dig a hole in my backyard. Oh, yeah. One ten thousandth the size, I'll get a hundred grand. Yeah. Superb. And I don't even need to build a train because there's a station just up the road from me. So that's one ten thousand of mm. the billion dollars. Yep. And you want a concessional loan. Concessional loan to dig yep. up a four by one metre hole in my yard. I'll probably just yep. put a little pond in it for frogs. And would it be fair to then ask whether you've dug up any other holes in your yard and caused poisoning of a river? Would no. that be a fair oh, question? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it would be a fair question. Oh, yeah, <laughs> hey, uh, Aaron, if, uh, if there's some events coming up that you'd like to promote or a way that people can get onto the Adani brief. Yeah, that's right. So um, this isn't one of our events, but um, there's an event that's coming up on the 31st of March in Melbourne and it's called the Stop Adani Roadshow. And it's uh, 6.30 at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. It's being organised by a alliance of a whole bunch of environmental groups. And if you're um, worried about the Adani project and want more information, I would recommend that as something to get along to. Superb. Bring your own pitchforks. Uh, thank you, Ariane, for coming in this evening. Keep fighting that good fight. Thank you, Bushy. Superb. Jad, thanks for panelling. Colsey, you're the radness. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Hey, uh, what are we going to do next week, Adam? 
We're going to be talking to Jeremy from Breathe Architecture. They're behind uh, the very well-known uh, car-free and otherwise very exciting um, housing project, the Commons and many others. So we're talking about uh, interesting new models of housing. Superb. Uh, super fluidy, gang. How's it going? We're really rocking in Brunswick. <laughs> Sick. Across Port <laughs> Phillip Bay. Very cool. Hey, um, amazing Yacht Rock special last week that I drove over. <laughs> Thank you very much. There's only, uh, there, actually I was about to say there's only one other show you can get away with it. There probably isn't. It's just you guys. Yeah, man. <laughs> it was amazing. We got, no, we got nothing to be guilty of. That's Were you right. you that at the top of your voice, Bushy? <laughs> to, uh, higher than that. <laughs> right up. I had the windows down. Down a lot. <laughs> I could just that there were folks who, who could hear Bushy driving past and was just like, <laughs> I had 110 kilometres an hour worth of wind in my hair. It was fantastic. <laughs> we'll see you next Tuesday, but until then, have all the fun. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.